The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, everybody. This is Joni Siegel, and this is the Addiction Podcast, and this is episode number 77. Now, Jason is traveling today. He took the train down to South Florida to visit his mom and dad. And so I thought I would do something a little bit different with today's podcast. As I mentioned to you last week, maybe the week before, there was a gentleman who reached out on Facebook who said that the podcast had really given him some help while his son was going through addiction and through treatment. And so as part of his um, communication back and forth to me on Facebook, he sent an audio file um, of his story. He basically just recorded his story of what his son went through, what he and his wife went through dealing with their son's addiction, and ultimately, you know, getting their son into treatment that was successful for him. And I thought it would be good for you guys to just hear his story. And he gave me permission to share it with you. So I'm going to just play that for you today. It's about a half an hour, and then I'll wrap it up. And then next week, Jason and I will be back on together because he'll be back in town. So here is the story of a father, and his name is Tom. Hi, uh, my name is Tom. Uh, this is the story of my um, my son's addiction. Um, uh, my 18-year-old son, well, he's 19 now. Um, it's been, uh, well, well over a year now. Uh, you know, he's the addict in my life. Um, for a long time, uh, he abused marijuana. And then when he went to college, his uh, his drug use really escalated. Mostly into whatever he get his hands on, uh, and it, you know, and eventually uh, uh, oxycotton, oxycodone, any flavor of oxy. That was his drug of choice, and um, you know, quickly led to spiraling out of control. Um, and you know, all the crazy stuff you can imagine happened there, um, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but, you know, the story ends well because he eventually, uh, after a lot of craziness, came back to us. And his sobriety date was um, uh, January 31st. And I remember that date because um, when he got out of 28-day rehab, um, the end of February was my birthday. So um, it's kind of, a, kind of a strange birthday present, but um, I'm grateful for it. So, both my wife and I, our, our whole lives, you know, after after our son had gone away to college, even before then, because I think, you know, looking back on it, there was a lot of, you know, we were not sure he was ready, and I think he was masking and self-medicating heavily uh, his senior year, and, and certainly the last half of his senior year with, you know, smoking a lot of weed and whatnot, and, you know, I kept... Um, you know, sort of rationalizing it, saying, well, you know, I drank alcohol when I was in high school. This is just normal kid stuff. But really, you know, once he started school, 
Um, it was great, you know, the first couple of months, and then after a while, you know, really things started to go crazy, and our life really became a a chaotic mess, you know. Um, and I dropped him off in August for college, and everything was was great, you know. And he plays lacrosse. He was like a star lacrosse player in high, all through high school, and really talented, amazing stick skills and just a natural intelligence for the game. So he made the team where he's going to school, and, and he was doing so well, you know, athletically, academically. You know, he's always um, had lots of friends, was outgoing, uh, you know, well-liked, uh, well-liked kid. And he seemed so happy. He was just having the time of his life. Um, and as I said, things were going going really well for a long time. You know, he had good grades. He was doing well in the cross, and I was so proud of him. You know, my wife visited him for parents' weekend, and she just had a great time um, and just, you know, was so happy with his whole life. Um, you know, looking back on it, I'm, I'm sure that he was probably using all along. Um, but the first sign of trouble for us is when he, you know, he had suffered a concussion during practice um, for, for lacrosse. And it was a severe one. Um, and he was injured on the field, and, um, you know, he had some kind of a dorm accident um, as well around the same time. And, you know, he was actually unconscious for some period of time, uh, which, which is kind of a big deal. And we were obviously very concerned about this, and we talked to, talked to him about it. And, you know, I, I remember distinctly calling him one, one time, and his, his uh, speech was very slurred and I, you know so obviously I was very concerned um but you know he said you know he said he was taking care of it all uh and he didn't want us to bring him home to recuperate here that he just wanted to deal with everything on his own you know it's like I'm a big boy I can handle this and so we thought okay he's an adult this is his choice um you know probably doesn't want to fall behind in classes you know all the you know we thought okay it's fine but, you know, almost immediately after that, things just started changing uh, kind of quickly, you know, in hindsight. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but um, there were certainly a lot of flags that we were rationalizing, not seeing, convincing ourselves to just gloss over. Um, and really, I mean, over the next few months, he really became... Uh, he became a different person. You know, my wife and I, we were so concerned with the changes that we saw in him. But again, you know, we, we were attributing all this to a concussion. You know, I mean, he had slurred speech on the phone. He was, he missed flights, random emergencies he had where he needed, you know, money. You know, he was writing checks that he couldn't cover. His grades were failing. Um, He had new friends that were worried us. He had, you know, previous really close friends um, that seemed to just be gone, you know, as they uh, took themselves out of his life and were distancing themselves from him. So, you know, our sweet, beautiful, intelligent boy really had become someone with just a raging, I mean, animal-like personality uh, that we could barely, we could barely recognize. Um, I mean, his... His addiction, and, and keep in mind, we did not know it was an addiction at this time, but 
you know, we thought he had some kind of psychotic break um, related to this injury. We did not know what was going on, but we were super, super concerned and really going through hell um, thinking this is his injury. You know, at some point, you know, my wife and I uh, going through this, you know, we finally told him, we don't know what's going on, but you're not getting better. And, you know, we, we live in Seattle. We're like, we have great head trauma. It's probably some of the, the best research um, in the world here. And you need to come home, and we need to get to the bottom of this. Um, and, you know, it was even stronger than that. We said, we're not giving you any more money. We're not paying for school. Take a medical leave. This is what you need to be doing. Um, and so, so you know, he agreed to come and, and get um, evaluated and checked out. So he shows up, and he, he, he arrives with this girlfriend um, who we'd kind of heard a little bit about, but, you know, I wasn't, I mean, honestly, I'm not, I don't think I was aware that he was really even, you know, calling anyone his girlfriend. She shows up, and you know, and once they're here and, and they're kind of staying with us for a short time, it becomes immediately obvious that something is just very, very wrong. Yeah, I mean, they're coming and going all hours of the day and night, sleeping in late. I mean, just horrendous hygiene. Um, uh, and, you know, going from terrible hygiene to taking four, five, six showers a day, right? And neither of them ate anything, as far as I could tell. Like, they were just, I, I'm thinking, you know, I don't know how they're surviving, honestly. Um, but, you know, a lot of this is kind of hindsight, and still we're kind of clinging to the belief that this is a concussion, you know, this is a concussion, you know, he's finally here, we can get this taken care of. Um, and, you know, he did agree to see somebody, um, but of course... You know, to really tell anything, they need to do an MRI. It's like it's involved. I mean, hit concussion, um, really, analysis and treatment is kind of like a dark art to some degree. And, you know, he, he with, with these addiction problems, he just wasn't going to do that, right? He just went back to school or he's, he's random, you know, missing appointments, you know. So we really could not effectively... Um, get him diagnosed and you know to top it all off he's an adult right so you can't you know i can't force him to do anything and the hospital even won't tell me anything um so this continued for months right and then he went back to school and eventually you know he did take a medical withdrawal from college the last possible minute you know after he had drained all his finances i mean he had thousands of dollars that i knew of um and, you know, manipulated us into giving him considerable money. You know, I mean, I, you know, I would, it, it's, it's so amazing to me. I would ask, you know, how could you possibly need this money um, so soon? And again and again and again, he would convince me um, that he did. You know, I mean, for, for sure, I, w- I was deep into enabling him uh, with, with my denial, you know, because keep in mind still thinking it's the injury. 
And, you know, once his money was gone, he's constantly asking us for money. And, you know, like a, a, an addict can lie like it's unbelievable. Because it, it's shocking to me even to this day because he was such a horrible, horrible liar. I could see it from a mile away. And he was so convincing, you know. Um, and later I found out it's, you know, there's like these things that flip in your brain. Like he probably believed what he was telling me. So, it was, of course, it was convincing. Um, and then he started selling his belongings as well. Um, you know, that, that hurt, you know, seeing him sell things I remember from when, you know, he was going through school, like this guitar, you know, things that I knew that he absolutely loved at some point in his life. It was just, you know, heartbreaking to see him sell his, all this stuff, um, at some point, you know, we decided, you know what, we've had enough. We didn't know what was going on, but we felt disrespected and take advantage of it. So we just turned off all the money flow, nothing at all. I told him, you know, hey, you can stay with us. You can find a job. But this girlfriend who we, we did not trust at all was not welcome to live with us. And so, you know, for the next few months, he lived he lived with her, couch hopping, I guess. You know, she would go to her parents and then, I guess, her uh, grandparents and and people they knew. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was selling, uh, you know, they were selling drugs is how they were supporting themselves. Um, and that was really hard because he's basically gone... We don't know what's going on. We don't know where he is. He doesn't answer texts. He doesn't answer calls. He randomly calls, and when he does, he just wants money. Um, uh, he randomly called big for money, claiming that he owed people money, that he was hungry, that he needed a hotel, that he was in danger. Um, and we just always told him no. You know, you know we said, I am totally, you know, you're my child and I love you and I am willing to help you, but you have to come home and you have to get some help for the concussion, right? You have to get some medical help and we have to figure this out. So finally, you know, he calls me one night and he tells me that he's a drug addict. He didn't say what drug and that he wanted to come home. It was a, it was a really short call, just a few minutes, and he was crying and he told me that he loved me and that he had to go. Um, and that, that call changed my life. It totally changed my life because all of a sudden, you know, it it was super late. I don't know, midnight, one o'clock, probably one o'clock. Um, and I woke up my wife my wife's, uh, she teaches in a public school, so she, she gets up super early. So it's kind of a big deal to wake her up, but I wake, I wake her up. And we just talked and fretted for hours. And, you know, in, in so many ways, it all just clicked in. It's like, of course, of course he's a drug addict. You know, there's no other way to explain what, what all this craziness that we've seen. Like, it was just astounding to me that we we literally had not considered that possibility, which to, to this day, I, 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 you know, I am shocked that we were in such denial and not willing to accept or even really consider or discuss the most obvious solution. I mean, it's like Occam's razor, right? Like the, the simplest solution is most often the correct, 
the simplest explanation is usually the correct answer, and, and it was right there in front of us, and we, you know. So, you know, after that, I'm thinking, great, he's coming home. In fact, I offered to go get him. No, no, no. And then everything went silent. No contact. Week passed. You know, no, wouldn't answer calls, wouldn't answer texts. And so we started just educating ourselves about addiction. Um, You know, luckily my wife has a really good friend that deals with this all the time, and she gave us some excellent advice about what we should be communicating to him and how we should be positioning ourselves to really help him with this. So he called me one night. I said he was sleeping outside and he wanted money for food. And I could just hear the desperation in his voice, right? It was just so heartbreaking to tell him no. Because now that I, I knew, you know, I didn't know what he was on. I'm thinking, you know, at first he wanted, you know, oh, $20, oh, 10 How about just $5, you know, like it's a, like it's a matter of money, you know. And I knew... That if I gave him money, you know, he could he could buy drugs. You know, maybe he gets something with fentanyl in it and kills himself. And um I I couldn't I couldn't be a part of that. So I, I was I was hardcore with the absolutely no money. Um I just want to remind you that you are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. If you would like further information on the podcast, the easiest way to do that is to reach out to us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, Facebook group called the Point Addic- the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Also, if you want more information on Narcan on Suncoast, you can call one 877 339-3324. That's one eight seven seven three three nine three three two four. But you know, th- even now it's emotional. Think of my son. Who knows where? I don't know where he is. I don't know who he's with. I don't know what's going on. It just it just hurts. Uh, so we knew it was dangerous to give him money, and we just flatly refused to do so. We'd enabled him enough, you know. And, you know, he called so many times with so many wild stories. And he was so convincing, as I said before, as a liar. And we just... We just held firm. Didn't do anything for him. I don't know, some more time passed. I don't know how long. It was probably a few more weeks and one day he calls up it's in the morning he calls in the morning and he says dad I'm coming home you know hell I thought he was like in Montana or Idaho so I thought he was a few states away but no he told me he's coming home and um, he's on the bus and he's coming home you know like from West Seattle I guess to our house which is you know I'm thinking heck he'll be here within uh 40 minutes and 
my wife was there, and as I said, her friend coaches, and we told him, okay, you are, we thank God you're coming home. We love you so much, and we want you home. But if you're coming home, we have some, uh, we have some rules, right? We have some things that you need to do. And we said, within the first 20 minutes of you arriving here, we're going to make a call. Uh, we're going to make an appointment with an assessment counselor that a friend recommended, and you're going to go in there. You don't have to tell us what you talk about, but this person is going to help you figure out what the next steps are. And whatever they recommend, that's what we're doing. Um, and so... He showed up, you know, I was pretty sure that he wasn't going to show up. As a matter of fact, I didn't even, um, I had been to a few Naranon meetings to learn detachment and whatnot. And I, you know, I was just tired of putting my life on hold. And I thought, you know what? I am not taking another day off work. You would think, you would think that I would, but literally that's the desperation of this stuff. You've been lied to so many times and let down and, and, uh, they don't show up and everything that I'm like, oh, you're coming. Great. Sounds good. You know? And just really applying this kind of cold feeling to him because I just couldn't invest anymore, you know, my emotions and my and intellectually, emotionally, anything. So I got on my bus and I went to work, right, um, thinking, you know, he's not going to show up. So I'm about halfway there when he calls me on the phone and said he's five minutes away. And I'm like, you're seriously five minutes away? And he goes, yeah. And so... You know, so I got off the bus and, uh, you know, quickly went, uh, went back and he showed up. He actually showed up. I was shocked, you know, and I'll I'll never forget it when he walked in the door. My wife was there and I just went to him and I just hugged him so hard and my wife hugged him and all of us, we just cried. It was so emotional. We just held him so tight because we hadn't seen him in so long, um, and it was shocking, you know, he was so thin and frail and fragile. He had been a muscle-bound athlete when I last held him in my arms, you know. And I was just so shocked and stunned at the condition of his body. Um, I, 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 I was having trouble processing what was going on. So he made the call and he made the appointment. And we were off in about an hour and a half. Um, and he was serious about this. And the, also on the bus, he had called his guidance counselor, or sorry, his um, youth group counselor. He'd been very active in the youth group uh, growing up, which was awesome. And so, so, you know, thank God, I think our son, the, the fact that we were so connected to him and he had these other connections in his life, I really feel tough love probably only works when you have a strong safety net like that because... I think the addict goes through a moment of clarity where they feel that emotion and where they're connected and they're thinking about that and you got to move when that happens, which thank God that we did. And again, our addiction counselor helped school us in all this. But, um, but you know, we made, we made the appointment and uh, his, um, it's about an hour and a half from then. And luckily his, uh, his um, youth group counselor showed up and, you know, they talked separate from us, you know, and I think that was really good, you know, and I, cause he really needed to know that 
he had a team that loved him and were going to help him out. So we got to the appointment, um, and you know, my wife and I were just shocked. I mean, we don't, we you know we don't have any. We've never been around addicts. We have no no idea, you know, like what what's going on. But you know, oddly, my son seemed super relieved. I mean, he was just cool as a as a cucumber, you know. Um, and so they went in, and I don't know. He talked a good hour, hour and a half while we were out in the lobby, and then we went and got coffee, and then we came back. And but after you know an hour and a half, she came out. And she called us in, and you know he had been completely honest with her, and they both agreed that the best step for him would be to enter detox in a 28-day program. She said, you know, uh, opioids are like nothing to mess around with. He's young. Um, He's kind of early on in his addiction. We can hit this hard and and hopefully uh, reverse this, you know. And so we were, you know, happy, sad, confused. I don't know. We were not sure what what we were feeling, but we we put this plan in motion. She said, "You know what? I called ahead. He's got a he's got a bed at this rehab facility. It's all set up. You guys go home, pack a bag, um, you know, take something that you like because it's you know it's uh, it's not the Ritz Carlton over there." And, uh, you know, so take a bedspread, a pillow, something to remind you of home, and um, go home, pack a bag, and head on over there, which we did. And, you know, I, I can tell you it was surreal going from not seeing my son in ages to have him, having him there and shocked at his condition and going to the doctors and then back home um, and then frantically packing because, you know, we'd, we'd seen him come in and out of the house, right? Like, you know, like, uh, addicts are unpredictable. So we are frantically helping him pack as fast as we can so we can get in that car and get over there because God help us if things fall apart at this moment was what we were thinking. Um, and, you know, I can still feel that, that, rush of intention of just wanting to to get get moving right and so we got him over there you know and uh you know he went through the initial 28 day detox and then they recommended that he go to um a foundational uh really like it's an intensive iop group home where they have seven or eight men so we did that for another uh two or three months um I think it was three months, so that's a total of four months of treatment. And then, you know, now he's been in a sober living program for another four months. Um, and he's doing great, you know. He's like finally, you know, he's he's going back to school now. Um, you know, he continues to go um, to um, IOP. He goes to meetings all the time. And, you know, the big thing is I think – Sober Living Program, they have, um, I think, six um, townhouses with two to three guys in each townhouse. And they're amazing, right? I mean, the, the, they support each other. They keep each other honest. Like, a lot of guys have been clean for, like, a year. 
they're all kind of younger guys for the most part, you know, they're like in their 20s, you know, so I mean, he's he's the youngest guy. Well, there's another guy there who's also his age, but but man, those guys super support each other and it's like, you know, they're they're listening to hip hop. It's funny you go over there. It's like a it's like a it's like a frat house, you know, on a Saturday night, but there's, you know, there's no there's no drugs, there's no booze, and there's no women. And um and there's no sex and um but man, they have they have a good time and they really support each other and I think, you know, that connection helps a long way. So that's what we're doing. Um and you know, I know this, you know, this will could be a long road, you know, but I'm 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 super super grateful for where we are now. And I see his life back together. And, you know, I've had frank conversations with him about using and stuff. And, you know, he he realizes, you know, he has a lot of sadness about the life he threw away, right? Because in the beginning, you know, he loved university. He loved all the freedom and, you know, kind of being an adult. And being on campus, you know, and and one of our, you know, our goals is to kind of get back to that. But I definitely want to get a year clean in a more rigid environment before we start doing that. And, you know, he, he, he agrees with that. He doesn't want to, he, he feels super strong, um, but, you know, I think he's also sensitive to the fact that we need to rebuild our trust in him, right? Like a lot of, you know, bridges have been knocked down and it just takes time and trust and communication to rebuild that stuff. Um, so I think, you know, it's not an easy story. You know, this stuff is super hard and, you know, in, in many ways I am so thankful that despite all the hell we've been through that we've we've come out of it um and things are looking great you know and our you know we're stronger right my my wife and I are stronger my son and I are stronger you know because we realize the value of these relationships and you know there's been it's been very very painful but you know I can't help but think my son's personal growth and the life lessons that he's learned in this last year are priceless, really, and probably certainly much more valuable than what you learn academically in a in a year at college. You know, so I hope that um, you know <laughs> it helps rationalize the expense of this because none of this stuff is is cheap. But, you know, how do you put a price on uh, on the people that you love, you know? Like, whatever it takes is kind of the mantra, and you've got you've to gotta do that. So thanks for listening to my story. I hope it, um, it helps someone else. And if there's anything that I would, advice I would give about things I would do differently is, you know, one thing I've learned with my going through this experience, um, you know, a lot of times in life we have suspicions, you know, we think things, um, oh, and you know, maybe we're, I don't know, 
maybe we're exaggerating, right? Or maybe we're, um, you know, we're coming up with some kind of conspiracy theory. But you know what? I I feel like any suspicion you have around drugs, it's true. I mean, that's just been my absolute feeling, you know, like, don't, don't wait. Don't rationalize. If you think, if you think your son or your one of your children or your loved one, if you think someone's doing drugs, they are. Trust me. You know, if you think you have a problem with drugs or alcohol, you do. Right? If you think, you know, your neighbors over there um, are doing drugs or dealing drugs, you know, they are. It's just been my experience, like one hundred percent, that. Um, those suspicions around drugs in, in a way that's way different than anything else in my life has just been totally true. So for God's sakes, don't do nothing and don't rationalize it. You know, deal with these things. Um, because the earlier you can get this person help, the better off you're going to be. Thank you. So... I want to thank Tom. I think he's probably going to listen to the podcast. I want to thank him for being willing to share his story with our listeners. We have talked over and over again about how addiction affects so many more people than just the addict. And this is a very riveting story, I think, from the dad. And this is why this is why I do the podcast. Um, you know, Jason is a former addict and Jason has worked at Narcanon for many years now and deals on a day-to-day basis with addicts. I don't have addiction in my family, but I don't want another dad and mom to go through uh, what Tom had to go through, what Jason's parents had to go through. I just don't want that. And so my hope is that if we continue to do this podcast and we continue to reach out and we get more and more subscribers and more and more listeners, that we will start to make even more of a difference. I know that um, several people have now started the Narcanon program through the podcast, and I'm thrilled with that. And I'm guessing there's probably more throughout the world because we can only really track the ones who come into Narcanon Suncoast. And it's all about helping people. It's all about offering hope. And that's what we do with the podcast. And I think that um, Tom's message and Tom's story will resonate with a lot of you listening. And So just know that there are people here who are wanting to help and wanting to do something about this problem, and you're not alone. And we've given you many different resources that you can reach out to. So Jason will be back next week, and we will talk to you again, might have an interview as part of that podcast. But one way or the other, we will be back again next week. We're going to continue doing this. So everybody have a good week. We'll talk to you again next week. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcanonsuncoast.org. Narcanon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 